So many people are trying to add more years to their lives. And I think that what we should be doing is adding more life to our years. Wow. And that will end up, I think, in the long run for most people, have us living longer. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that the U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut. If you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with benefits like four times membership rewards points that adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year and up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. So many of us love coffee, like the living for it type of love. Some like it hot, some like it iced with a splash of creamer, and some like it with a cold foam topping. Many of us stop into coffee shops on our way to work more often than we'd like to admit. But now, thanks to International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, you can make cold foam coffee at home, or in my team's case, in the office, and it's a game changer. I was just chatting with a teammate of mine about our love for the occasional sweet treat coffee. Sometimes, it's just the thing you need as a pick-me-up on a business day and we just stocked our office fridge with international delight cold foam creamer and it never misses the team's favorite flavor so far is the caramel macchiato you just shake the canister and spray it into your coffee and voila you've got an incredible cold foam coffee no frothing fancy machines or mess required international delight cold foam creamer foams and creams your coffee from top to bottom the best part it works on both hot and iced coffee it comes in three foaming delicious flavors, French vanilla, sweet and creamy, and caramel macchiato. So you can switch things up depending on your mood. Look for your favorite flavor next time you're at your grocery store and be prepared to say goodbye to your barista. International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. It's foaming delicious. Welcome back, everyone, at the School of Greatness. Very excited about our guest. We have the mother of mindfulness, the mother of positive psychology, Dr. Ellen Langer in the house. So good to see you. Thank you. Um, your bio is really impressive. You are a, a pioneer in the world of psychology, and you made history as the first woman to be tenured in psychology at Harvard. You've got three different awards, science, scientific awards around your studies and 13 different books. And you've got so much information backed by research and science talking about how to heal our bodies, how to heal our minds, how to reverse our aging, all these different things that I'm fascinated to go into. Because I think a lot of people don't believe that you can change your body 
and the pain within your body with your mind and your thoughts. And you are talking about specifically in this book that you can. And I'm curious if someone is saying this is just a bunch of crap, you know, I don't believe any of this. I only believe that, you know, I have to take a pill or medicate myself to heal my body. What would you say to that? I'd say I feel sorry for you because you're missing out on a great opportunity to take care of yourself. It's interesting that we have a notion of mind and body as separate. And that's ruled for so long. That's why people think, um, you know, the only way you can heal yourself is by taking some medication. Um, there's no reason to have a mind and body as separate. They're just words. And loss of this book is based on the idea of putting them back together, mm. even just for useful purposes. All right. And if you have a mind and body and they're one thing, then wherever you're putting the mind, you're necessarily putting the body. And so now I have decades worth of research showing that we can put the mind in very unusual places, take the measurements from the body, and um, indeed uh, the effects are, are clear. Wow. I think that for this person, the non-believer, um, uh, you might ask them if they've ever seen, this may be off, off color or whatever, somebody regurgitating on the side of the road. And how did they end up feeling? Because many people need to vomit just by watching somebody else. Nothing is happening to them. Maybe a less colorful example and better is um, you're walking down the street and a, a leaf blows uh, in your face. You're startled by it, just a leaf. But you can feel the changes in your body. You know, my first experience with this mind-body unity was many, many years ago. So I was married when I was very young. And we went to um, Paris on a honeymoon. And I was now 18, 19, going on 30. So I had to be very sophisticated. And we're in this restaurant. And on the menu was this mixed grill that I ordered. And on the um, plate came pancreas. So I said to my then husband, which of these is a pancreas? He points that one. So I meet everything else. And now comes the moment of truth. I have to eat it because after all, I'm married. Wow. <laughs> I don't know how that followed, but it seemed to at the time. So I start eating and I'm literally getting sick. He starts laughing. I said, why are you laughing? He said, because that's chicken. You ate the pancreas a long time oh, ago. Oh, man. All right. So I was thinking myself ill. Interesting. And um, all of the research supports that. You know, it's interesting. Again, I thought of this just the other day. Um, I might even have it in the book and I've forgotten it. But I was in Missouri uh, several decades ago, and a friend dragged me to an iridologist. And you know, I'm up for anything. I mean, I'll go to, you know, so I went to see this iridologist who looked in my eyes, and she says, I have problems with my gallbladder. Hmm. Okay, fine. Just by looking in your yeah, eyes. My, okay, so the game is over. And then eventually I go to the doctor, and lo and behold, I had a gallstone. Really? Yeah. Now, do you uh, think you thought that to occur, or did you actually? No, have no, no, no. That's a good question. But <laughs> no, I'm going to go there. I don't know how it uh -huh. how it happened. Here, the point for me was by looking in my eye, she, you know, she knew there was something in the other parts of my body that were not right. And you know what people don't realize is that every thought, if I if I lift my arm, my whole body is different. Mm. different in tiny ways that we, we haven't been able to measure, but it's all connected. And um, which 
in some sense, lends more credence to this whole idea of mind-body unity. Now, the first study we did uh, was a study where we took old men to a retreat that mm -hmm. we had retrofitted to 20 years earlier. Right. What was this called again? The uh, we called it the counterclockwise study. Right? Yes. So they were going to live for a week as if they were their younger selves. And they were in their late 70s, 80s? Uh, yeah, um, even older. 80s, but 90s. Re yeah. Now, remember, that was quite a while ago. Okay. You know, that was when 70 was the in the new 90 uh-huh or even 100 or whatever sure. i mean okay. they they were they were really old yeah in can't like walkers I mean, they get canes. younger as i get older but, right right you know, right but as i recall so and they're they're in walkers they're in canes yeah they're, they're immobile they're yeah. very slow well actually you know that when i was um interviewing people to do the study so their um adult daughter would typically one bring them to the lab and i see them tottering down the hall and at one point i said to myself why am i doing this I don't know if they're going to live through the day, wow. no less be able to live for the week. Okay. You know, it was, it was, it was uh, and I took on something that only the younger of me would have considered taking on. You know, I was in charge of their entire lives. These several, you know, seven men, old men, um, uh, every aspect of their lives for a week. At any rate, you could, you know, you looked at them and didn't matter what number you attached to them. They were old. Right. Now they were going to live for a week as if they're their younger selves. So they'll be talking about current events, things from the past, as if they're just unfolding. And um, other things as well. Like they would have yeah. newspapers from Everything 30 was, years prior. Exactly. Or... And they were making their own meals and they would correct each other. So if you would say was, you know, somebody would tell you is um, because... The past was now the present for that. Wow. And they were listening yeah. to older music yeah. and watching older movies yeah. and everything. I, I could spend the whole time with you just so I know that study. So you want me to give more details? Just tell me. But let me tell you the results. Sure. Those were amazing. So they lived as their younger selves for a week without any medical intervention. Their vision improved. Their hearing improved. Their memory, their strength. And they looked noticeably younger. And I must tell you that... Almost from the beginning, the changes were palpable, you know, and, um, and, and most people accepted the findings. There were a couple of people who so you can't make people younger. And I'm not saying that uh, chronologically we're changing your age, but um, it is the case that we associate certain ways of being with certain times in our lives mm. and that these men had... Um, we're living their lives now very dependent on their adult daughter, presuming that they can't do many of the things that they used to do, and um, they were wrong. And so that set the stage for a host of studies, most of which, well, all of them actually to date, are in the mindful body. That's fascinating. What would you say are, you know, that study was a while ago, right? Yeah. Now that was, um, let's see, we designed it in 1979. Wow. Yeah, a long time before you were born. Yeah. Wow. So what would you say in the last 44 years, I guess, um, what is the new... Has the world changed? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Or what, are the, what, are the, what are the new studies or research that you've done to show how to either reverse aging or to, I guess, create longer aging in the biological sense? 
Remember, it's all one. Okay. Mind and body. So we don't have a psychological as opposed to a biological okay. So it's both. Sense. It's yeah. the mind and the yeah. body. Coming. But I thought you were asking me, so I'm going to answer the question I thought you were going to Go ask, ahead. Go not ahead. the one that you did, all right? Which was, how has the world changed? Because that's a lot of years. And way back at the beginning, the medical model believed that psychology was more or less irrelevant. All right. Now, I'm sure everybody thought it was nice to be happy, but that wasn't going to affect your, your physical health. Now that's changed. And now what most people believe is a biosocial model. So these things like stress and so on matter, but they don't go nearly as far. Hmm. And I'm saying down the road, psychology will be the most important aspect really? of your well-being. So, so that's a change that's come about slowly. Um, now, for me personally, once we had those, um, those data, I did several studies where we simply make elderly people, every time I say the word elderly, I, I stop now being older myself, right. but um, we make seniors more mindful and they live longer. So it's important for you to know that mindfulness as I study it has nothing to do with meditation. Meditation is fine, it's just different, okay? When you meditate, you take yourself out of the world and you uh, say your mantra to yourself over and over. Mindfulness, as I study it, couldn't be more in the world. Mm. That what you're doing is not a practice, it's a way of being. You actively notice new things about the things you thought you knew, you come to see you didn't know them at all, and then your mind naturally goes to them. Now. If we start off with the realization that everything is changing, everything looks different from different perspectives, the idea of being certain of anything becomes silly mm. because you can't know. It's not what it was the last time you looked. And if you could adopt just one mindset, it's the only one I believe that is good for you, um, that uncertainty is the rule, not the exception, then you don't, you don't know. So then you tune in. The problem is our parents, our schools, the media, virtually everything is trying to teach us absolutes. And when you think you know something, you don't pay any attention. So I'll do what I do probably too frequently now. Let me ask you a simple question. This is the one that everybody knows. Oh, man. How much is one plus one? Two. Okay, and that's what everybody <laughs> says. I feel like this is a tricky yeah. question. <laughs> well, it is, though, because uh, one plus one isn't always two that if you are adding one watt of chewing gum plus one watt of chewing gum, one plus one is one. If you add one pile of laundry plus one pile of laundry, one plus one is one. You add one cloud plus one cloud, one plus one is one. In the real world, one plus one probably doesn't equal two as or more often as it does. So now look at the difference. Somebody, it's unlikely, but after we finish, somebody comes over to you and says, how much is one plus one? you're not going to mindlessly say two. Mm. You're going to pay some attention to the context, and then you're going to answer more mindfully and say, it could be, and then you can say it could be one, it could be two. Interesting. You it's know, all context. So, yeah, exactly, context. exactly. Everything changes, um, and our minds tend to hold things still. We think we know. We want to know um, because we think that gives us control. But since things are changing, you don't want your mind to hold it still. Well, in fact, it's changing because then you're giving up control that you otherwise would have. Wow. This is fascinating stuff. Now, I'm curious about, you know, chronic health, thinking our way to chronic health. This is the subtitle of your book, The Mindful Body. 
Um, you say we can think our way to chronic health. Yeah, well, you know, the reason I want to use the term chronic, just because it's a little startling, because we only think of chronic illness, but people tend to assume that as you get older, you're going to fall apart. You're going to get sick. And um, sickness and aging are not the same thing. One can live their entire life without illness. Mm. Um, and the way to live one's life is essentially the same when you're 10 years old or when you're 80 years old, just by knowing you don't know and tuning in. Now, people don't like not knowing because they think you can know. And what I'm here to tell everybody is you can't know. Uh, so what you need to do to, to live the kind of life that I'm suggesting is be confident and uncertain. All right. Mm -hmm. If you think you should know, then you pretend. Um, but you can't know. Now, that makes everything possible. Now, I was at this uh, horse event many years ago. And after this, I'm going to use only new stories. Okay. But, um, and this man asked me if I'd watch his horse for him because he was going to get his horse a hot dog. Well, as you might know from the credentials you read, I, I was an A-plus student. So I knew as well as anyone in this world, that's ridiculous. Horses are herbivorous. They don't eat meat. He came back with the hot dog and the horse ate it. <laughs> and at that moment, I realized everything I thought I knew could be wrong. Now, for me, that was actually exciting because that meant that everything was possible. All of those things that we were taught um, are impossible not to strive for actually became um, available in a whole different way. Wow. And the next step in the reasoning for me was to see that, to recognize that experiments, science, science give us our facts mostly, right? But that science only gives us probabilities. There's no experiment that gives you anything absolute. So it's sort of most horses under the conditions that were tested didn't eat the meat which is very different from all horses never eat meat. Right. You know, and um, so, and it's very important for one's health because you have to realize that any information you're given is a best guess. Now, it's an educated guess, but it's still not an absolute. This is fascinating because what I heard you say a moment ago is that if you want to live till you're 80 or 90 or 100 without illness or disease, Think like a 10-year-old is kind of what I heard you, you well, say. Well, what I'm saying is the way of thinking should be no different, which is life is exciting when you address it as brand new, when you're not afraid of uh, trying new things, um, when you recognize that all of the stops you've put on yourself were mm. just decisions that some other people made, and there's no reason not to do whatever it is you want to do. Um, you know, you don't want to hurt anybody, sure, but sure, sure. you know, for people to say you're too old to play tennis or you're too old to, I don't know, what are people to, I don't pay any attention to it, right. so I can't generate <laughs> yeah, yeah, the instances. Yeah. But you know, one of the earlier titles of the book was Who Says So? Um, and I think that that's a refrain that people should, you know, and that's where they're similar, not to 10 year olds, but I think two or three year olds. Yeah, who says so? Right, right, <laughs> or, right. You know, yeah. um, and so it's almost always like having a beginner's mindset. Yeah, yeah.
What is the thing that you've learned in the last few years that maybe you thought you knew that completely rocked your your world? People have asked me that. Um, it you know, I don't know if it's my being dense or what it is that it's hard for me to answer. I know there was something that I came to many years ago that I think was far more important to me than most people who read about what I say in this regard. But it's still, um, let me share that with you, which is the simple idea that behavior makes sense from the actor's perspective or else the actor wouldn't do it. Now, what that means is when you see me, let's say, as gullible, um, I'm not intending to be gullible. What is it I'm intending? Well, I'm trusting. When I see you as inconsistent, you don't intend to be inconsistent. What you're being is flexible. And mm. it turns out for every single negative description, there's an equally strong but oppositely valence. For every positive, there's a negative, every negative. Now, what that means is, you know, it, it, to make it a little more sensible, nobody wakes up in the morning and, and says, you know, today I'm going to be gullible, obnoxious, sloppy, I mean, you know, whatever we call people. So what is it that they're intending? Now, people don't realize that it made sense to them because they often engage in the action mindlessly. Mm -hmm. So they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. So if you say to me, Alan, you are so gullible, which I am, and now I look back at my behavior the way you are looking, my God, I can't believe that. And I'm, fat. I'm not going to be gullible anymore. Of course, it's going to fail because going forward, I'm not being gullible. I'm being trusting. So the point is, if you want to get someone to change, you have to address the behavior from the perspective mm -hmm. in which they're engaging in. Mm -hmm. You want me to stop being gullible, you have to teach me to stop being trusting. And my guess is then you wouldn't want to. So you can see how life would unfold very differently because as far as I can see, people are constantly evaluating each other, mm -hmm. judging themselves, um, foregoing pleasures for fear of what somebody else might say and wow. so on. What do you think is the root of sickness and illness and disease in your mind? Mindlessness. Really? Oh, yes. I think that um, uh, I would say virtually all, I probably even mean all, but be a little safer. All of our problems are the direct or indirect consequence of mindlessness, whether it's personal, interpersonal, global. My career not only requires me to travel, but also gives me the freedom to. Traveling has brought me so many positive experiences and memories. Like that time I spent the holidays at an Airbnb in Big Bear with some of my extended family, and it was the perfect way to come together and connect with my family that I don't see that often. If you have a similar setup that allows you to travel often, have you ever thought about your empty home while you're gone? More specifically, how you can make some extra money by keeping your home occupied while you're out of town. I'm a big advocate for setting up a side hustle to give Give you an extra stream of income and airbnb hosting is an easy place to start many people host on airbnb including some friends of mine but there are some people out there who've never even realized their space could be an airbnb hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money so if you have a home but you're not always at home you've got yourself an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com host 
Quaker has been a trusted name in breakfast for over 145 years, which is crazy to think about because that means they have been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, and the ballpoint pen. And while clearly a lot of things have changed since 1877, some things have stayed the same, like the great taste and quality of Quaker oats. I mean, I think we all grew up with Quaker in our household. Quaker has something for everyone, like old-fashioned and quick oats, great for cooking and baking, or instant oatmeal in different flavors and varieties, one of my faves for a quick breakfast. And whether it's lower sugar or added protein or fiber, Quaker oats can satisfy the whole family. There's even Quaker fruit fusion with real fruit pieces, added vitamins, and no artificial colors for a bold start to a bold morning. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker oats in your local grocery store. Isn't it obnoxious when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print or bills that seem to go up for no dang reason? Like when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying even more than you would have elsewhere? At Metro by T-Mobile, there's nada yada yada. That means no contracts, no price hikes, no surprises. They don't even want me to speed through the legal, so here it is. When they say no price hikes when you join, they mean your price will never increase for talk, text, and smartphone data plans. Their only exclusions are for limited time promos, per-use charges, and third-party services. I guess that really is nada yada yada. At Metro by T-Mobile. Nada yada yada. What is mindlessness to okay. you? <laughs> mindlessness is... Um that responding to the world um, based on these absolutes where you think you know, you're like an automaton, you know? And so what happens is when you learn something, then you keep doing it. Okay, so you first learn it, you can be doing it mindfully, but you know, now you know how to do it. You do it the same way over and over again, but the world is changing. And very often you come up short. And an example I used to use a lot is, um, and this isn't good for California, and the last time I used it, and was going to not use it again was in India, where it's also not good. It depends on snow. Okay. <laughs> Put that aside. That if you're driving in snow and this car starts to skid and you ask somebody older than you, um, unless you were taught by that older person, what do you do when you're driving on ice? And most people will say, you slowly pump the brake and turn into the skid. That made sense when you first learned it. However, and you keep doing that, but now there are anti-lock brakes. And the way you stop a car on ice is you firmly hit the brake. Okay, so what you learn for safety's sake is now unsafe. So the point is, once you think you know, you freeze everything while things are actually changing. So you're not um, able to avoid the danger that hasn't yet arisen. You can't take advantage of the benefits that are right in front of you because you just don't see it. Most of us are using yesterday's solutions to solve today's problems. Now, you know, people are afraid um, you know, to, to um, just let things be because they think there are good things and bad things and I have to jump over you know, fences and kill people, do whatever I have to do to get those good things and to avoid the bad. But things in and of themselves are neither good nor bad. And when you fully recognize that, then you know, if this interview goes well, wonderful. If this interview doesn't, 
wonderful. It doesn't matter. There'll be other reasons. You know, if it doesn't go well, then that will free up some time in some in some fashion. I'll have learned something that'll make the other one, the next one, you know, even bigger and what have you. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, the idea, people, by believing there are things that are good and things that are bad, um, set themselves up for all sorts of stress, so for example. So when there's things happening in the world in the last four years with- Terrible. Horrible <laughs> things happening, <laughs> wars and COVID and all these different yeah. things, how do you interpret these events? Yeah, no, no, events I, you know- So I'll you don't you. stress yourself into sickness and disease. Yeah. No, it's a very important question and I don't know that I have um, the right answer. I would say though that telling yourself that the world is falling apart, uh, that we're on our way to a dictatorship, whatever things that are going to keep you up at night is not serving any purpose. Mm. So um, do something about it, whether that means finding um, places to donate money, to do some work, to elect the uh, officials that um, have the same views as you and so on. Um, but if you're doing nothing but worrying Worrying is a waste of time. You know that I have a few one-liners about worrying. The first one is um, you should ask yourself, which is not the case here, is it a tragedy or an inconvenience? Now you're talking about potential tragedies, but most of the things we worry about are just inconveniences. Right, and, yeah. so, you know, and um, most of the things we worry about never happen. And if you reflect on the last time you worried and how you dealt with it and you saw it didn't even happen, you'd be more persuaded of that. Mm. The way to deal with stress, I think, is um, stress relies on two things. It relies on an assumption that something is going to happen and that when it happens, it's going to be awful. Well, the first, you can't predict. And this is very hard for people to accept that predictability is an illusion. You can post it. You can look back. You know, let me let me make this uh, use an example. Let's say you're at a party, and we see Tom and Susie fighting. And I said to you, "Are they going to get divorced?" You say, "How do I know?" Right? Sometimes people fight. Well, let's say we don't have that conversation. So you see Tom and Susie fighting. Two weeks later, you're told, "You know, Tom and Susie are getting a divorce." Ah, I knew it. You should have seen the way they went at each other at the party. All right. You can't predict. You can predict, you can predict for a group that if you were to start um, 100 Mercedes and you turn the key, most of them will start, not necessarily all of them. And that would be more than if you were in some used car, uh, car lot. Sure. But you can't predict the individual case and we're all individuals. And when it comes to our health, um, you know, uh, we really care more about how the medicine is going to go down for right. us personally. Uh -huh. Now, I believe that stress is the major source of our illness. Really? Over and above uh, diet, uh, genetics, even treatment. It's a very big statement. And that stress though is psychological, right? Events don't cause stress. What causes stress are the views you take of the event. So if you open it up and you're more mindful, um, and if you said to yourself, mm. um, rather than this thing is going to be awful, give yourself five reasons why it might actually be an advantage. So now it could be awful, it could be advantageous, you're immediately somewhat relaxed. But I say go the next step. Let's assume it does happen. What are the advantages? The worst case scenario. Um, things, and what yeah. are the advantages? And so then when you say, you know, you'll be able to deal with whatever happens, 
then you're you're less worried about them yes. and you know you don't have to spend so much time trying to control the outcome mm. yes but for the big things that are happening in this world right now um i think that it's a super test of all that i'm saying yeah yeah is, you know. how do you how do you manage stress though i, I mean, don't experience that most of the time really i you know i was you're a professor at harvard you've got books you've got people that rely on you you see you know people coming to you with their problems how do you navigate all that yeah um I surely, at this age, have had real things happen. Um, I had a fire that destroyed 80% of what I owned way wow. back when. You know, my mother died um, when she was a young woman. Um, I'd been, you know, divorced. And so none of those things sound so big anymore. But nevertheless. Um, in the moment, so it's like, at the, yeah. yeah. So, um, and when those things happen, I don't think that my response is, oh, well, you know, I'm of this earth. Um, sure, sure. But it, it doesn't stay with me. So let's say the then I wrote about this in the Mindful Body when the house went up in smoke. That um, I called the insurance adjuster. He came over the next day, and he said it was the first time in his twenty-five years of the job where the call was less bad than the um, the damage. Most people go, "Oh my god, oh my god," and he gets there. Eh, it's not one so little terrible. room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here, but you know, to my mind. It was already gone. What was the point in getting crazy over it? And I immediately felt that what had been burned were things of my past. You know, so if I were to redo it today, you know, that day, would I? How many of those things would I have bought again, or, or what have you? Um, but it was still a little scary. Sure. And uh, but I might as well tell the whole story now because this turned out to be. Wonderful. Really? How could it have been wonderful? Tell me. Okay, so I go to uh, the Charles Hotel to live now because I don't have a house. And I have my two dogs. And so I'm a sight to be seen, right? You know, marching. Okay. It's Christmas. Um, wow. Christmas Eve, I go out. I come back and my room is full of gifts. Not from the hotel management, not from the hotel owner, but from the so-called little people, the people who parked my car, the chambermaids, the waiters and waitresses. It was years um, uh, that when telling the story, I would cry. Now I've told it so many times. That, you know, and I don't remember, except for one thing, anything that I lost in the fire. But every Christmas, I'm reminded of wow. what I think is the basic goodness of people. Wow. So why did know, they give you all those gifts? Um, just to be nice because it was Christmas. Wow. Yeah. And they knew what had happened. Yeah. And if you would have lived in the home, you wouldn't have had that experience. That's true too. I hadn't realized that. But the funny thing is, so the one thing that I miss, and I set that up for you to say, well, what was that one thing? Um, I was teaching a large course in a few weeks. All of my notes were burnt. What was I going to do? Oh, right. man. Um, so um, I called the student from the year before who got an A, and I borrowed her notes. <laughs> it was like a game of That's telephone. Great. Yeah. That's great. And I apologized to the class before telling them that I don't know how this is going to go, you know, following reason. And I think it was the best class that I taught. Really? Because it, it was happening right then, you know, that all of the information I was giving them was... Um, a new version or a version that I believed right at this moment. You know, when you, you present PowerPoints, it's just too easy not to use the same PowerPoints right. and to, you know, you don't want to think things through. So you're again. innovating things, yeah. you're, you're adding And so to I it. enjoyed it more than any other class I taught. This is fascinating. Um, 
Now you're speaking about kind of lost things from the past. A lot of people hold on to the traumatic memories and it keeps them stuck in a, a mindset of resentment, fear, anxiety, frustration, guilt, whatever it might mm -hmm. be from these traumatic experiences that either happened to them that they interpreted or that they were a part of or did to other people. And they hold on to these memories and put a lot of meaning on those memories and it causes them to feel stuck or gain weight or get sick and have anxiety. How powerful is our thoughts around the past? Well, I think that what we need to do and people, there's data, not mine, that shows trying not to think about something is totally ineffective. It always comes back. But so what you want to do is not try not to think about it, but to think about it differently. Interpret it differently. Yeah. Um, and your feelings will be based on your interpretations. You know, so that for me, the fire, you know, was not the scary thing. It, you know, so I lost some things, so who cares? Right. Um, and then I got all of this uh, attention, this uh, feeling of the goodness of strangers. Community, you know, was, love, yeah. support, um, yeah. And so it, it's not a scary thing for me. Wow. So if we open up our minds and see that no matter what we're experiencing, there are multiple ways of understanding it. There is no one way of looking at it. Um, and that's what we do when we're being mindless. You know, um, and then it lends itself to, again, all sorts of possibilities. You know, it occurs to me that we only talked about the counterclockwise study. I probably, with your permission. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, but, sure. Another because um, uh, there many in the book, but to be more persuaded of this mind-body unity. Yes. Um, let's see, the next study in that series was with chambermaids, which is This fun. is awesome, yeah. It's, the chambermaids, um, I didn't realize this until we did the study, didn't, don't see their work as exercise, because the Surgeon General says exercise is what you do afterward. You sit in a chair all day, that's when you get your exercise, and they're just too tired after work. Study was so simple, as many of these are my studies. We just taught them that their work is exercise. Mm. So making a bed is like working on this machine at the gym, sweeping. And so now we have two groups, one group that doesn't realize their work is exercise, one group that now sees that their work is exercise. We take many measures. Turns out they're not working any differently, with these two different views. Right, right. They're not eating any differently. All that's changed is their mindset. Now work is exercise. As a result of that change, they lost weight, there was a change in waist to hip ratio, body mass index, and their blood pressure came Wow. Um, and so um, I, the, our thoughts matter. Let's go, I'll go to the very present because okay. there's so many things for us to talk about. I did this uh, study recently with my graduate student, Peter Ungel, and um, it's a study on wound healing. Oh, now, so this is interesting. in order to test um, the one's mind, the degree to which your mind affects healing, uh, the physical had, body, right, yeah, yeah. we had to inflict a wound. Really? I am not sadistic, right, right. and even if I were, the uh, Human Subjects Committee is not going to let me. So it's a minor wound, sure, but little, it's a wound. A little cut, a little uh, paper cut, or something. No, we like used a... um, um, the Chinese cupping. Okay. Um, so it creates it. Okay. And all we have are people in front of a clock. It's like a bruise almost. Yeah. yeah like a... Un exactly. Unbeknownst to them, the clock is going twice as fast as real time, half as fast as real time, or real time. 
the question we're asking is, does that bruise heal based on perceived time, which is the time the clock tells you, or real time? And it turns out it's perceived time. Come on. Yeah. And we're doing this now with um, people who've had um, a hernia operations, um, uh, cataract surgery. Um, I want to do with broken bones as well, where we tell people right now, you know, the doctor will probably tell you, say, how long is it going to take for take me to heal? Three to six months. Right. For and I think yeah. they use the outer limit. I want to tell people, you know, some people have healed as quickly as and give the quicking healing time and see what happens. Interesting. Um, so if a doctor who is a credible expert and is telling you this is going to take three to six months of recovery. It's you're, long, you're not going to do anything until three or six. Exactly. Of recovery. Right. Um, you're just going to wait until that end time and then and, start feeling better. So you're saying if, what if a doctor said, you know, it's possible you could heal in two to four weeks mm -hmm. and start he seeing incredible healing fast if you do these certain things. Do you think the body could connect to our thinking and our belief I, I think it's way? one. It's one. So it will necessarily be connected. You know, so in the back of, um, uh, after I talked about in the book about all these mind-body unity studies, um, I give um, a treatment that we've come up with that essentially, uh, you know, what I want to, let me backtrack a little bit. Most people know about placebos. Mm -hmm. like, placebos may be our strongest medicine. I mean, just think about it. You take a sugar pill, you take a nothing, and then and you get, get better. better. Yeah. So it's not the pill, you're doing it yourself. So my life's work has been to try to find out how to do this more directly. And what I'm just gonna tell you is um, a procedure that seems to work and that could explain um, placebos and other things as well. But it's the answer to your question. Okay, so if you have three weeks to heal and now you're you know, approaching the second week has passed, what are you doing? And this is what you might be doing. When people are given a diagnosis of a chronic disease, they tend to think that the symptoms are going to stay the same or get worse. Nothing moves in only one direction. Mm. There are always little blips. It's sort of like the stock market. If it's going up, it doesn't go straight up. It goes up, goes down a little up, okay? Um, or down, depending sure, on. Sure, sure. Okay. And it's the same thing with any measure you're going to take over time. There are fluctuations. Now, what happens is there are times you're feeling better, but you're not paying any attention to those times, all right? Because your expectation is it's only going to get worse. What happens if you pay attention? So what we do, we start by calling people um, every day, twice a day, sometimes three times a day at various times. And we say, how, let's say you have chronic pain, for example. No really stress, it doesn't matter what it is. People in chronic pain think they're in pain all the time. Mm -hmm. People who are stressed think they're stressed. Nobody has anything all the time. So we call and say, how is it right now? Is it better or worse than before? And why? And the why is the crucial question. All right, so what happens is now, during me times, it's going to be better. So you're going to feel, gee, yeah, it's not as bad as I thought it was. There, there are moments of relief. Why initiates a mindful search. Why now is it better than before? And by doing this, the very, and the process now gives you some control over the disease. So control itself is important to your health. Interesting. When you're in control, you're looking for ways to be better.
To improve, yeah. Right, exactly. So we use the stress. So you're stressed all the time. I call you, Hester. Okay. Then all of a sudden you realize, you know, when you're talking to Ellen Langer, then you're maximally stressed. So then it's easy, right? Don't talk to me uh -huh. as a way of improving, all right? So three things happen when you do this attention to variability, which is just a fancy way of saying being mindful, noticing change. The first is that you see, hey, it's, it's not that you're maximally awful all the time. Second, by asking why you're being mindful, that's good for your health. Mm -hmm. And third, that you're more likely to find a solution if you're looking for one. Now, we've done this with Parkinson's, stroke, multiple really? sclerosis, arthritis, chronic pain, a host of real disorders. And in each case, uh, we get very positive results. And so, you know, now we're looking at how this might actually explain the placebo. And the way is that you take a pill, now you're expecting yourself to get better. So you're looking, am I better? Oh, my, now I'm not as better as I was before. Why? And the process unfolds naturally. Now, so when I was trying to arrange it so people could take care of themselves rather than rely on a doctor to give them a nothing so that they um, take care of themselves, um, it, it doesn't seem that way because we're calling them, but most people now have smartphones. It's very easy. You set your smartphone to ring in an hour. You ask yourself, how is it now? better or worse than before, set it now for two hours and 10 minutes, just vary the times. Um, and uh, you will be better, even if it doesn't completely go away, although we have very positive, um, and very positive findings. This is powerful. You know, and the thing about a placebo that's kind of interesting, because when we, um, the BBC did a version of a replication of the counterclockwise study. And I remember there was this actress who was one of the participants. And she got better and she couldn't understand it. And she said, you know, you say it's placebo, but, you know, I'm arguing because placebos are bad. Now, placebos to people are bad only because the people who started talking about them were pharmaceutical companies. Uh, and for a pharmaceutical, I want to bring this drug to market to make a fortune. And this damn thing, you know, this placebo free, is just yeah, yeah. as good, yeah, yeah. so then I can't bring it to market. But if you think about it, and then people say, it's only psychological, as if, wait a second, you know, physical is real, you know, psychological not, and now I'm saying they're both the same. You know what feels good? Winning. And not just in sports. Like when your coffee's still warm once you reach your job site. Or when you finish a project days before the deadline and coming in under budget. That's claiming victory. You can even claim victory on your taxes by losing your current tax preparer and switching to H&R Block. And once you do, you'll start to feel like a tax champion. Because at Block, you'll have many ways to get your taxes done. You can walk in, make an appointment, or drop off your documents at a time that's convenient for you. You'll get 100% percent accuracy on your max refund or your money back. Plus, with their upfront transparent pricing, you'll know the price of your tax prep before you even get started. So make room on that trophy shelf and prepare to tax like a champion this tax season at H&R Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. Disclaimer, all tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. 
you can't always trust your gut. Like those times when it tells you to have that extra piece of cake or when it tells you to skip your morning routine and sleep in another hour. Probiotics can't help with most of your gut decisions, but if your gut needs a little support, Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Ritual invested in a study modeling the human colon, which showed their symbiotic plus significantly increased microbial diversity and the growth of beneficial bacteria. Rigorously tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals, Ritual multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. Personally, I love Ritual's Symbiotic Plus because it keeps my gut feeling balanced and it's super convenient. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash greatness. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash greatness for 20% off. So what influences the other? Do our thoughts influence? It's all happening simultaneously, more or less simultaneously. Yeah. So if we feel pain somewhere, we feel overwhelmed or stress, we feel sharpness of pain somewhere, is our thoughts influencing that pain or is our the feeling of it influencing our thoughts? It's it's one thing. Interesting. You know, I raise my arm, that's affecting my wrist. Um, my forearm, you know, it's all happening essentially at the same time. You know, uh, there was somebody, I, I can't believe that I couldn't remember, I couldn't find who did this study where they uh, did the biochemistry of a teardrop and that hmm. a teardrop of sadness is biochemically different from a teardrop of happiness. Really? And remember the iridologist, who was able to look in my eye um, and know there was something wrong with my gallbladder. It's all the same. I go like this, my mind, my brain is different. We don't have the um, sophisticated machinery, technology to, to uh, pick up the difference. But if I took a few cells of your skin and you were mindful versus mindless, uh, the difference is there. Really? But we can't see that now. Holy cow. No. This is fascinating. What I mean, what would you see, say then, if people want to live pain-free, if they want to live pain-free, stress-free, and they want to feel like they're aging gracefully? <laughs> All in one minute. <laughs> what, what can they be, what is the cocktail of ingredients that you should be doing on a daily basis to create well, that? Yeah, um, you should um, accept that everything is uncertain. Mm-hmm. And so uh, then you can't know those things. You know, If you forget something, doesn't mean now you're becoming sick, uh, getting dementia. Mm. You, know, you forgot something. And it's interesting because I'm a teacher, I'm a professor of these wonderful students at Harvard, and I give an exam and they get a lot of it wrong. They studied it, they just didn't remember. So young people are not infrequently forgetful. Mm. They just don't worry so much about being forgetful. Um, If you um, fall, some people then take themselves out of the world because they're afraid of falling again. And uh, I I remember in this, I was consulting in this nursing home many years ago. And this woman who was, I was in the um, director's office, and this woman who was about, uh, I'd say she was about 85 or whatever, visiting her sister who was 90. 
and she was bragging. She said, you know, my sister wanted me to bring tongues to help her put on her underwear by herself. Um, but I wasn't going to do it because she could fall. And I thought, okay. And then I chimed in, which I probably shouldn't. And I said, you know, we can prevent her from falling um, and burning herself or anything else that happens to people in the course of a lifetime. We can induce a, somi a semi-comatose state and then she'll be perfectly mm -hmm. um, yeah. accident-free and so on. You know, so in some sense, I mean, it may seem silly, but some part of being human is the possibility of some of these things happening. Falling, yeah. And, yeah, and recognizing that um, you, you can get yourself through it in some of the ways we've already discussed. Um, I'm not suggesting that we all you know, just throw caution to the wind, but right. I think a life... Um, that provides no opportunity for any of these things to happen. It wouldn't be one that I would sure. choose for myself. This is all fascinating because I think a lot of people want to live longer and they want to live longer, healthier. They don't yeah. want to live in pain and on medications and stressed about it. They want to feel better. And So let me, let me tell you, yeah. what people want to do, it should be doing is making the moment matter. And that whatever they're doing, they should enjoy doing it rather than doing it for some end, you know, so that I hate exercising, but I'm going to exercise so I live longer. No. Um, and there are people who exercise and then end up having heart attacks mm. because of the exercise. You can't. Because um, they're stressed about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, what you want to do is if you do it, show up for it. If you show up for it, it'll be enjoyable. If it's enjoyable, um, you can't ask for more than that. You know, I, so many people are trying to add more years to their lives. And I think that what we should be doing is adding more life to our years. Wow. And that will end up, I think, in the long run for most people, have us living longer. But whatever you're going to do, it should be fun. Now, how could it be fun? Um, it depends on the way you do it. Doing it mindfully, actively noticing, it sounds so simple, but that's the essence of engagement. That's, the, that's what you're doing when you're having fun. And it's no work. That's why I say it's very important to understand mindfulness as we study it. it has nothing to do with meditation. If you were to leave California and come back to the East Coast and come visit me at my house, you wouldn't have to practice uh, being mindful. You'd walk into my house. You'd be curious. Oh, look, at, did she do that painting? What, this is the book she's reading? You know, whatever it is you saw, you would notice because um, you knew you didn't know and, you know, and you'd be curious. Um, and, you know, once you're noticing the neurons are firing and that's figuratively and literally enlivening. So that's all you have to do. Now, the problem is the world has taught us to divide work and play, for instance, and that work has to be bad. So for students, it can be play and study, or you know, work and life. And again, I object strenuously um, that... Um, Bring we, play into your work. Exactly. You know, that, um, and people talk about work-life balance. You know, I have so many of these in the book where here is bad, and then uh -huh. the experts help us to get here. It's better, but not as nearly as good as it could be. So work-life balance is better than work-life imbalance. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. better still 
is work-life integration. Mm. Make it one thing. Don't be a different person at mm. work. Um, you know, that there should be a certain seriousness to even play um, and uh, playfulness to our work. Um, we have studies where we just have people notice things about uh, whatever they're doing, and it ends up fun. Um, we had people, this is um, a study, so what did we do? We gave people index cards that had on them jokes. Jokes. And their job was to evaluate how funny the joke was. Mm. Okay, so for half of the people, it was a job. For half of the people, it was just an activity. It was fun. It was interesting. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And when it was a job, their minds wandered. They resented doing it, even though the thing they were doing was would seem to be almost inherently fun. Right. So, you know, um, I don't know that if you were doing brain surgery, any kind of surgery, at the moment you're doing it, you want to be lighthearted. And, but it should at the least be interesting. You know, the doctors make a lot of errors, um, no different from the rest of us, except uh, medical errors are very costly yes. and cost people their lives. And those all result, to go back to your original question, how do we fix everything? By making people more mindful. Mm -hmm. When you're more mindful, you see what's going on. And you know that you were leaving that sponge inside the, the person's body before you sewed them up. Wow. Um, so no matter what you're doing, if you're doing it mindfully, you're going to be enjoying it. And if you're enjoying it, um, that's going to be its own reward, which will probably lead to the longer life. I'm trying to think right, right, everything sure, from sure. the first great. question I love you this. asked. I, you know, I feel like a lot of what I've noticed in the world lately is that a lot of chronic illness is linked to people being obese. Obesity is up in this country and around the world. Um, and you talked about the, the chambermaids yeah. study, but I'm curious, can, can people just think themselves thinner? Is it possible to lose weight by your thinking alone? Well, that's what seemed to be the case with the chambermaids study. But I think that, you know, again, if you want to stop doing something that you're doing, the best way to do it is not to look at the result of what you've done, mm. but to look at why you're doing it in the first place. Can you give me an example? Well, sure. Um, you know, that um, I've gained 20 pounds, therefore I want to take off the 20 pounds. Um, why did you gain the 20 pounds? You know, were you eating because you are anxious? Well, then, you know, we have to find a way of not being so anxious. I think that. Um, for many people who are trying to lose weight, um, they are not paying attention to why they gained it in the first place. If you were mindful, you would notice that you, know, you gained three pounds. Taking off three pounds is not very hard for most people. If you don't notice until you go up two sizes, um, then you're not being mindful. Exactly, it's going- You're, you're not know, paying attention right. to what you're consuming, you're just eating throughout the day or you're not, whatever, you're not moving your body enough, something, right? Yeah. Um, you're not paying attention. You're, you're not paying attention. Well, it, paying attention sounds big. You're just noticing okay. little things okay. and then it becomes much more doable. Um, but, and people have written now about mindful eating. Um, in fact, the word is so out there that I think that it's good. Its importance may get lost with that, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm glad it's had, having an influence. Sure. In, in so many ways, yes. 
because you're gaining weight out of nervous eating. The more mindful you are, but the less stress. You know, so let's say I came to you. We don't know how many people are going to be watching us. I could have said to myself this morning, oh my gosh, you know, how is it going to go? So many people are going to see me and then just stuff my face. But I, I didn't bother doing that. <laughs> right. It didn't make me the slightest bit anxious. Yes. Um, you know, uh, I, because I've done you know, things, I'm not 12 years, you know, 20 right, years right, right, old, right. it's not the beginning of my career. But I think that lots of the things we learn when we're older, the wisdom that comes with age, people should learn when they're young. Mm. You know, to realize, uh, I wrote a paper, a little blog at one point about, you know, you're, you're three years old and you fall and you scrape and you cry bloody. Then you're um, six years old, I don't know, you in elementary school of six years old? Yeah, you're okay. first, first grade. grade yeah. And Johnny or Janie doesn't send you a Valentine, and you know, the world's going to end. And then you get a little older, and now you've got some uh, pimples, and oh my God, I'm never going to be attractive. And then you get, and you get your first job, and am I ever going to... It just goes on and on until at some point you say, it was all so silly. You know, and we can be taught the ways it's silly right from the beginning um, to realize there are many ways of doing you know, everything. And by thinking that there's one right way, then that makes so many of us wrong. And, um, and there are things we put in place to keep us down. And I'm here to say, you want to do it differently, do it differently. We should all be doing it differently in a whole different way. When I lecture, sometimes I look in the audience, I say, is there anybody here who's 6'5"? Surprisingly, they're almost always in. I ask them to come on the stage. I'm 5'3". Uh-huh. We look ridiculous yeah, 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 yeah. here, right? I ask him to put his hand up. I put my hand next to it. His hand is three inches bigger than mine. And then I ask a simple question. Should we be doing anything the same way? Anything physical? It seems silly, right? And so it is with, with everything else. You know, that um, people, who are the people who decided these are the things we should know, these are the ways we should know it. You know, it got to the point, gets to the point where imagine you're in school and you're asked the question, how much is one plus one? And little Johnny says one, what's going to happen? In today's schools- the Teachers are saying, no, that's not exactly, right. Exactly, and the, the child is going to be looked down on by all the other kids, ha ha, you know. Um, and then grows up feeling uh, less than. Um, and sometimes less than is because you actually know more than rather oh, than less than. Interesting. Um, it's interesting that when we're putting people down, um, there's a way, and talk about three levels here. So let's imagine we have a little kid who's uninhibited. Okay. Um, now, then we have people like us more you, your age, that are inhibited. What does inhibited mean? You know the rules. You're supposed to do this, you're not supposed to do that, and you comply. Then, hopefully, hopefully, you get to a certain point where you say, who cares? <laughs> right? Now, that behavior of the who cares, the old person, may resemble That's the young person. And it's a mistake to think of that person as... Um, uh, behaving childishly. So they're not um, uninhibited the way the child is. They're disinhibited. Interesting. Um, it's interesting. It's, you see, you know, my grandfather, before he passed, he used to just say, 
whatever was on his mind. Yeah. And, it, and it was inappropriate for mm-hmm. a lot of people. But for him, he was just like, I don't care. You know, yeah. just I'm going to say what I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, but the point here, the larger point that I'm making is that when you see somebody behaving in, in a way where you're uh, taking them to task, diminishing them, it may actually be that they're more evolved than mm, you are. Interesting. Uh, rather than less. You know, so another example, you see somebody drop their cane. And so the um, miserable person doesn't go over and help. Then the next level two person runs over and helps. But there's also a level three, better, where that person watches and sees because the person who dropped their cane is going to feel better if he or she can pick it up by themselves. And you don't want to deny them that. And so you don't give help that's not really needed. So level one and three are not the same. They're both not helping, but they're very different people. Interesting. One's just kind of like, whatever. The other one's saying, I don't want to rob them of the opportunity of empowering themselves. Right. So, and this goes through, there are so many things. I I spend a lot of time with um, language that uh, is interesting to me because I think here in the world that we live in today, most people are not... Um, enjoying the um, the lives that they could be enjoying and they don't know what's available to them. So many years ago, I was asked to give a sermon in one of the Harvard churches. Okay, I say yes to everything. (laughs) So I say yes, I'm not religious. And if I were to be religious, I'm Jewish. So what's an appropriate topic? That's forgiveness. It sounds sort of religious. It's not, but I could get away with it. So I start to think about forgiveness, and I come up with something that's almost sacrilegious. If you ask 10 people, is forgiveness good or bad, what are they going to tell you? Good. It's good. If you ask 10 people, is blame good or bad, what are they going to tell you? Bad. It's bad. Gee, but you know, you have to blame before you can forgive. Mm. So our forgivers are our blamers. Now, do you blame people for good things or bad things? You blame people for bad, but things in and of themselves are neither good nor bad. So what do we have here? We have people who see the world negatively, who blame, then, uh, you know, come to forgive. Hardly divine. Okay, so if you blame, it's better to forgive than not. However, you shouldn't be blaming them in the first place place because their behavior made some sense Mm -hmm. or else they wouldn't have done it. Mm -hmm. So if you understand that their behavior was sensible, then there's no reason to blame them. Then there's no opportunity necessary for forgiveness. So we leave it at forgiveness rather than this whole uh, better way of, of being. So we have trying. It's much better uh, than giving up to try, right? So we're always teaching kids to try. Well, I did this study. Well, then I was informed that this should be called the Yoda study which I didn't realize, and it is the Yoda study. Don't try, just do it. That you, would you try to eat an ice cream cone? No, no you do it. you just do it. Yeah. So trying has built into it the possibility of failing. All right, so not doing it, trying, when you're thinking of failing, not nearly as good as just the doing. So it goes through lots of um, ways where, in fact, there's a world that's so much better than the world most people experience. Mm. I went to visit a friend many years ago who had a very bad case of cancer. And I said, Eva, how are you? She said, they told me my cancer's in remission. And at that moment, I thought, well, wait a second. 
if I had the very same tests, they'd probably tell me I don't have cancer. Why is it I don't have it, but she has it in remission? Mm. Okay, now, if you think it's in remission, you're still stressed. Hopefully if it doesn't come back. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If you're cured, um, you it's don't have back. that stress. Yeah. Interesting. And, yeah, and so again, remission is better than it being active, but not nearly as good as it being cured. Now, when you have a cold, um, and the cold goes away, you don't see yourself as in remission. See, it's gone. And, it's, and then if you get a cold, it's seen as a brand new cold, and it can be the same thing for cancer. In some way, the cancer is, all cancer bears something in relationship to each other, or else we wouldn't call it by the same name. But each cancer, each moment is different. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal? To give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. Now, you know how much I emphasize the power of teams for your business. And ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. Their smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. My company, Greatness Media, is currently hiring, and in my opinion, finding the right team is one of the most important steps in setting your business up for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I'm grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help with my growing team. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So how important is language in our it's lives? It's crucial because we, the way we use language, once we name something, we think we know it. Once we think we know it, we don't pay attention to it anymore while it's changing. It's interesting. My uh, fiance, she's uh, from Mexico and I don't know the exact language on how they say certain things but when they have for example when they have um, a cold they don't say i have a cold they say something that's like it's or i'm experiencing a cold yeah. or something like that yeah. they don't own the sickness yeah. they don't own the disease mm -hmm. the illness the anxiety the stress they don't say i have yeah. stress I'm experiencing it. Yeah. No, it's we do here with, um, if you have some disease, you almost become the disease. Mm. You, and you identify. I, and it's very hard. You know, so I had a student, a wonderful young woman who had MS. And I heard, you know, somebody comes over and asked her how she is. And she was great. Rather than, you know, oh, my goodness, for every question, the MS is with her. And um, 
And then she you know, explained to the person how her mind is working, her arm, you know, and went through all the parts of her that are just fine. And that gave me a different idea that when you have a chronic illness, all the word chronic means is that the medical world doesn't yet know how to help you. It doesn't mean that there is no way to help yourself. And so I don't have data to support this, but it seems to me a thought experiment that if you built up the rest of your body, made yourself strong, I can't imagine that wouldn't help the healing. So I show a slide, um, I don't remember what I was talking about during COVID, but you know, and you imagine Olympic runners versus a couch potato. And let's assume both of them were exposed to COVID and both, both of them got COVID. It, it seems to me the Olympic athlete would probably have an easier time with it. And, you know, and so um, you can build up the rest of your body. That feels good. You're in control. You're being mindful so that itself is helping whatever the disease is. And it may actually be um, enough to fully turn things around. So how we think and identify ourselves also is determined based on the life we're going to live as well, it sounds like. That, well, the way we define ourselves will determine the life we're going to live. And that's also important because too often people say they can't, mm. whatever it is, they can't. And you can't, no, you can never prove that you can't. There's no experiment that can prove that you can't. All an experiment can prove is that if you do this, um, this may happen. It doesn't tell you that there's you know, no way for anything else to happen. And then if you think about all of the advances the culture makes, that you know, the big ones are always things where everybody said it was impossible, right? It's impossible until somebody does it and then it becomes possible. Yeah. Then people don't learn from it because they think they always knew it. And so they go on to the next thing that can't be. Wow. And that when you realize that it's the doing of it, the trying, that's the fun, uh, not the end. Um, you know, you organize yourself differently in, uh, around an activity. I mean, let's just take um, I don't know, two um, instances come to mind. I'm trying to think now. They're blocking new thoughts. So these are old thoughts. But you're a little kid and you're in the elevator and you're trying to press the button uh -huh. and you can't reach it. And so your parent picks you up and you get and then eventually you're able to hit, and at that point it's no longer fun. I mean, when was the last time you got excited that you could hit the elevator right, button, right, right. okay? Or if you were playing golf and you got a hole in one each time you swung the club, there's no game there anymore. Mm -hmm. It's the not knowing that makes it exciting. The mastering, not having mastered. Um, and so when you get something wrong, I, I think we should all be more like as either the computer programmers, where when they get it wrong, they don't say they got it wrong. It's a bug. It's in the system. And I'm going to figure it out. You know, if you think of, I like crossword puzzles. So in doing a crossword puzzle, it's great fun for me, or words with friends or whatever, word games. Um, after I finish it, it wouldn't be fun for me to do it again. Because mm -hmm. I know it. all the answers. Yeah, yeah. So you have to recognize that the not knowing is what makes it interesting. What makes it impossible for some of us under so many circumstances is somebody else standing over you, uh, whether it's a teacher, a spouse, making you feel stupid for not being able to, you know, right. to answer the question right sure. away. Judging um, you, shaming yeah, you, and making that, you wrong. And you know, that we need to realize, so uh, my goal, 
this is, I'll write my next book about this. Right now, the world is vertical. You have those of us on top uh, comfortably, um, and you have, you know, we, we make it as if we really know how we stack up, right? Um, as if the measures we're using are always reliable. And I want to take that vertical and make it horizontal uh, with the realization that everybody has special skills. So let me tell you where this came from. We are having lots of furniture coming uh, to be uh, stored in a basement. I've seen the amount of furniture. I know the size of the basement. And I say to myself, there is no way, no way that all of that is going to fit. This man who um, does some work for us, um, who has no sense of himself, he is um, uneducated, he, everything negative, right, in his mind. He takes the furniture, fits it all in, where it's all accessible. And when I saw that, the first thing that occurred, it's not fair. Right, you're the really genius, not, you have a yeah, genius award, I, I couldn't do professor it. at Harvard. Right. And he couldn't do it. Um, and um, I thought maybe some things would change during COVID when you saw how important somebody who's delivering toilet paper you know, is relevant to, you know, <laughs> more important than the architect right. at that moment. But um, to recognize that everybody doesn't know something, everybody knows something else, everybody can't do something, everyone can do something else. And to, um, to question when I talk about talent and things like that in the book here, who chose the criteria? You know, to say, you're good, <clears throat> you're not as good, and so on. You change the, you know, when I said before about the six foot five guy and I uh, doing things differently, he wrote the rules. Now, the more similar you are to him, the white, tall male, mm -hmm. uh, the better you'll be at whatever you're doing. More important to understand the more different you are from the person who wrote the rules, the more important it is for you to find your own way of doing it. And everything we teach is, this is the way. No, this isn't the way. This is the way for that person who, you know, who determined sure. uh, the rules of the wow. game. It's very important. I mean, you know, I use this example a lot also, and I'll stop saying that. I'm a tennis player. And, you know, I throw the ball up. I kill it. It doesn't go in. I throw it up, and now I have a wuss, very weak, second serve, because I'm playing doubles, and I right. don't want to get everybody angry. <laughs> okay. Um, if I had created the game of tennis, you'd have three serves. The first one, I kill it. Second one, now I'm going to learn from that first one. I kill it again. Uh, More often, it's going to go in. And I still have my backup third serve. Interesting. Nobody would think that two serves somehow comes from the heavens, right? This is the way it has to be. All right, so who decided? Now, it doesn't mean... And we have to change the rules for each of us. It does mean that when you don't do it as well as somebody else, you recognize it's only because of the way the rules were written. Uh, at my 5-3, I'm going to break more dishes than you are, right? Who decided that the cabinet should be all the way up there? Yeah. So. As opposed to down here. Exactly, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, everything could be, you know, it, it's, mechanically, it's not very difficult to have the shelves change uh, height. True, yeah. Um, but we don't think about that because we hold everything still. And we think that everything that is had some good reason for it being that way. 
And the reason is just that a group of people made the decision right. for it to be that yeah. way. Then we freeze it, as I was saying mm. with how do you stop on ice in a car? You know, everybody learns, you gently pump the brakes. And they're doing that, even though now- Until they that's innovate new technology. A, yeah, right, yeah. and now um, it's actually counterproductive, yeah. dangerous. Wow. You've learned, I mean, how many years have you been teaching? Forever. Teaching um, at Harvard now? 45. 45 yeah. years you've been I started when at, I was 10. Exactly, yeah. yeah. 45 years of, of teaching at Harvard, you've, you've seen a lot, you've experienced a lot, you've done a lot. If you could only, if you could have parents watching today teach their kids only one skill set, it would be to the live a better life. appreciation of uncertainty. Appreciation of and, uncertainty. And um, I guess, um, well, it would be recognizing that everything that is could be different. Everything that is was a decision um, so that people don't give up their own way um, because the rule says. Because mm -hmm. that's still you know, so all. Yep. It's all part of you know, just being mindful. Mm -hmm. When you notice... You know, you, uh, if you're going to actively notice, you're going to see that things depend on context. You're going to see that, well, um, uh, this person, you're right-handed, but I'm looking at you writing now, uh, assuming you were left-handed, uh, and we had a culture in the past that tried to make you right-handed, fine. You know, there's an advantage to being left-handed. Um, there's an advantage to being right-handed. We don't want to homogenize right. uh, you know, on right. every dimension. Right. I'm fascinated by this stuff. You have a, a chapter in your, your book, The Mindful Body, that is called A World of Plenty. And my audience really loves this idea of abundance, creating more abundance in their life. I'm curious, how can we align our thoughts with abundance, even when everything around us seems to be like we're lacking? Well, uh, first of all, um... We have to be more specific about what you think you're lacking. You know, that um, what, if it's anything material, um, it's in order to get people's approval. Mm. And why do you want people's approval? Because then you will have better sense of your own self. Well, we don't need any of that. You know, that you can make yourself... Um, if we just go back to what I just said about realizing that everybody doesn't know something, but everybody knows something else. So what do you know? What can you do? And if you spend your moments doing those things so that you're happy, uh, the problems all go away. Right. Now, I was on this, um, uh, gave a lecture uh, down in um, Australia many years ago. And unexpectedly, she called all this, the person in charge, called all the speakers. So we're all sitting on stage. And then she asked each of them, what was their bucket list? Okay, so now she comes to me, and I'm like, I don't have a bucket list. So you don't have a bucket list? I said, no, that if you make the moment matter, you can't do more of that. And so, you know, if you're happy, and you're happy. Yes. And you don't have to then wait for a vacation to be happy. You know, it's you nice. You do certain things exactly. to create exactly. that joy. Exactly. You just are joy. Whatever you're doing you're should be it. fun. And, you know, I tell my students, that, I mean, I'm sure that they think I'm very strange, you know, that if you're flossing your teeth, make it a game. For me, everything is, is virtually a game. There's this wonderful video out there, and I don't know if you've seen it, it's called Piano Stairs. 
Yes, of the person climbing and falling. That no, guy? No, 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 no. Okay. And these, I think it was uh, in well, some place in Scandinavia. Okay. That's where it started. They go to um, the subway, and the subway stations seem to be the same all over the world. And they see um, everybody is taking the escalator, and there are stairs and escalators. So everybody's taking the escalator. Then they lay down a piano, keys, a keys yeah. on the stairs. So as you go With upstairs, sound. it goes, ooh, ooh. okay, right. And in almost no time, Everyone's everybody's now taking the stairs. And so what I tell my students, That's cool. why wait for someone to put, you know, to put the piano keys down there? You can do, 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 you know, sing yourself as you go up the stairs. Everything can be made fun. Mm. But in this world, we've decided these, these things are work and work is supposed to be stressful. These things are fun. As a result, when you're not working, you're not having fun, you're stressed, because why aren't I having fun? Yes. Um, and uh, I think it doesn't take much to, to change some of this. Most of it just comes from realizing that it was put in place at one time to serve the needs of certain people. And that if, and it, doesn't serve, yeah. if it doesn't serve your needs, change it. Change it. Um, I love this. One of the quotes you have in your book you say, don't try to make the right decision. Yeah, this is a hard one. Make the decision yeah. right. I, this is so important that I don't know. Um, it, reading it, I think, is easier than listening to me talk about it. But let me tell you. Okay, so the most stressful thing in the world for people are making decisions. Now, remember, I said stress is the major killer. Okay, so let's look at decision making. Okay, we go back and add up some of the things I've already said. The first is there's no such thing as good or bad. That's a frame you put on things. Things in and of themselves are neither good nor bad. So if you are making a decision, and what you're going to do is a cost-benefit analysis, if every cost is a benefit and every benefit is a you can't add them up. They're not going to tell you what to do. Not only that, but if you were going to do a cost-benefit analysis, there's nothing that tells you when to stop pulling in information. And each new piece of information could change the sense of a decision. Not only that, but I told you prediction is an illusion. Decision making relies on being able to predict, <laughs> uh, right? You know that um, if you if you have to decide, you want um, a car or a boat. Um, strange choice. <laughs> I don't think anybody makes it. But anyway, let's just leave it that way, okay? So we have a car and a boat that cost about the same money, uh -huh. and you can't decide which one. That the decision you're making depends on your guess about how much you'll enjoy. Well, I enjoy the boat. I get seasick, so it's not appealing to me. Uh, but will I enjoy the boat as much as I have enjoyed it? You can't say. Things change. Okay, now, help me get back to this, yes. but I want people to understand when I say you can predict. So, um, that uh, when I was married at the time with the um, pancreas, he was in the army, it was a Vietnam sort of thing, and I was able to go to the commissary. So this is like uh -huh. um, Costco, uh -huh. but Costco didn't exist. Sure. So I go and I buy as many stockings as they had, because these were expensive, right? Now they were like half price. A week after I got home, pantyhose had come out. Uh, now this is probably for a man, I don't sure, know if sure. you know. Uh, so the stockings were no longer useful. Oh, man. Now, um, I'm skiing, and I finally decide, okay, what I'm going to do uh, is invest in ski boots that are comfortable, that are warm. Okay. I do that. 
And then um, I end up spending winters in Mexico, so I never go skiing again. Right. You, you don't know, okay? You can't predict. You really can't predict. You think you can, but you can't, okay? If you can't predict, making decisions makes no sense. If the way you make a decision is to do a cost-benefit analysis, um, if the costs and benefits are only limited by the way you think about things, that's not going to get you anywhere. So then the point is, rather than try to make the right decision, mm. which you can never make. So, yeah, let me, one more little piece. Of do you want A or B? You know, they're psychologically the same. Whenever you can't make a decision, it's because the alternatives are psychologically the same. Then you pull in information to make them different. So um, let's say you find out A is $100 and B is $1,000. There's no decision, right? Mm -hmm. It follows mechanically. You're yes. going to take the $1,000. Yes. Okay, so you're never really doing these cost-benefit analyses. Sometimes you gather information so you can justify, well, here's why I did this thing that you think is stupid. So, anyway, you have to read it to fully appreciate it, but the bottom line is, rather than waste your time trying to make the right decision, make the decision right. I've recently joined the world of home ownership. And one thing I've learned is that there's so much more freedom with what I can do with my home, but also so many more decisions to make. Figuring out where to start on big projects like a complete room makeover can be overwhelming. But with Crate and Barrel's free interior design service, a design pro can provide design and styling help for projects big or small. Whether you're redesigning your living room, choosing a new dining room table and chairs, or even just styling a bookshelf. Work one-on-one -on -one with a design pro who will work with existing furnishings and help you choose new ones. Get 2D layouts and even 3D renderings so you can actually see your space to help you decide. Did I mention it's free? Yes. Having fun exploring the possibilities of what you can redesign or have the design desk help. Go to CrateAndBarrel.com or your local store to make an appointment with the Crate and Barrel Design Desk. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And so I had students live for a week. I said, from now until you come back for class next week. Do not make any decisions. Flip a coin, use a rule. You know, the rule could be the first thing that occurs to you is the option you're going to choose, but no decisions for the week. They come back and they had a stress-free, wonderful week. And, they, and you accept the decision you made as the yeah, right decision. Exactly, because you can't know. Now, sometimes people regret the decisions that they make, and that's mindless for many reasons, but not the least of which you can't is change it again. Not only that is that that other thing that you regret having chosen this could have been worse. Right. It you could never have know. Exactly. Exactly. There's that whole story, like the the fable of I'm like the farmer and the horse or something. And the horse is a nail. And yeah, and it like goes and goes. It's like okay, the horse broke its leg, or right. but then it right the other yeah something that's like. 
but that bad decision turned into a good decision. Exactly. And, that good, and then something bad happens. Right. And it's like, and, it and it's, like it's like the um, um, my house burning down. Yeah, exactly. It's like this horrible thing that. But you so, don't have to wait. Right. You know, you can create the good. Yes. Um, of whatever happens. Yeah, you know, and you uh, say there is no good or bad. It's all no. interpretation. Yeah. I agree with that. I mean, if you you know you break your right arm, what will happen is that you'll be using your left arm more, and that strengthens it. And so, for many people, your left arm is not as strong as your if you're right-handed. Um, so, at the end of all of it, you're in a better position. Yeah, and you just never know. I mean, I did break my right my right wrist playing football, and I remember uh, being really sad for I don't know about a year and a half because I was no longer to play football anymore. I was in a cast, I had a surgery, they took a bone from my hip, they did wow. a graft. I was in this position for six months. I was living on my sister's couch for a year and a half, rent-free. Wow. That part's good. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> but I didn't have a good, I didn't, I wasn't enjoying my life because this identity I once had, being an athlete, was playing professional football, was no longer available to me. The thing I had worked so hard for so many years, so long, dream gone. Yeah. And I remember feeling very sad and I don't know if it's depressed, but just in a low state, low okay. energy. Looking back, I'm so grateful that it happened. What mm -hmm. if What if I didn't get injured and I would have broken my neck the next year or something worse would have happened? Well, if what you, if, and, yeah. and it set me to a path of doing what I'm doing now, yeah. which is impacting lives in a different way. Yeah. And it, and it brings me so much joy. Yeah. So it's just learning to interpret it not as a bad experience. And the same problem for people is they don't realize when they're in a transition, um, transitions are almost necessarily discomforting because you're not where you were and you're not yet where you're going to be. Yeah, you're in the middle and, somewhere. Yeah, and, and um, to look forward to where they're going rather than look back. Mm -hmm. Because the looking back, you know, so let's say um, you're assuming that if you had stayed in football, you would have continued to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Who does? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, that if you're doing what you're doing now fully, um, Everything you've done before has led you to it. Exactly. And you, yeah. you can't do more than that. I'm so excited about this, that you wrote this book, The Mindful Body, Thinking Our Way to Chronic Health. I want everyone to get this copy. Make sure to share this with a friend. Get a copy for a friend as well. Yeah, uh, I have a, a statement on the back that you can't read it twice. You have to buy another one. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. Give it to a friend. I, I truly believe that our thoughts, the way we interpret ourselves, the world, events, is so powerful for us. And um, so everything you're talking about, it's all backed by research and science. And when people have these tools and they apply them, they're going to live happier, healthier, longer, better lives. And so I'm so grateful that you're, you're putting this out there. I have, I have a couple final questions for you, uh, but I'm, I'm just so grateful you're here sharing this. This question is a hypothetical scenario, so bear with me. Um, it's a question I ask everyone towards the end called the three truths. So... Imagine in this hypothetical world, you get to live as long as you want to live, but it's eventually the last day on this earth for you. And you've written 13 books and I'm assuming you're going to write 20 more and you're going to do so many other things to share with the world. But imagine in this hypothetical last day scenario, no one has access to your books. This interview is gone. No one has access to anything you've ever shared for whatever reason. You have to take it all with you to the next place. But you get to leave behind three lessons, three things you know to be true from all your life experience. And this is all we would have to have access to your information, your content. 
What would you say are those three truths for you? Again, I'm probably just repeat what I've said to you. One is to recognize that behavior makes sense or else people wouldn't do it. And that will improve our relationships and our relationships to ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, the second is um, that people have to appreciate, enjoy, exploit the power of uncertainty. Mm. And I mean, um, just be mindful, mm -hmm. but that follows. Each of these leads to the other. Of course. You know, I have um, an acronym that I use in teaching at the end of my classes. It's called GLADO, G-L-A-D-O. So it's my recipe for happy life. Be generous, loving, authentic, direct, and open. And each of these leads to the other, and all of them follow from uh, being more mindful. Uh, I love that. Collado. Generous, loving, authentic, direct, and open. Um, I want to acknowledge you, Ellen, for the contribution you continue to make on society, on humanity, and the world through your research, through teaching students at Harvard, and then taking that research putting it into things that we can all understand, apply in our lives, through taking the time to craft these social experiments that you do uh, and giving us more inspiration and more hope. So I'm just grateful that you're changing the paradigm for a lot of our thinking and the things that we have thought are one way, you're shifting it to say, hey, there's another way. So I really acknowledge you for your contribution and the gifts that you bring to the world. I'm so glad that you're you're doing this. And um, again, the mindful body. Uh, the final question I have is, what is your definition of greatness? Uh -huh. Being awake, being being present, being there. And you know, it's funny because people say, you know, sort of stop and smell the roses, or you should be present. And that's sweet, but it's an empty instruction because mm. when you're not there, you're not there to know you're not there. And so the way to be there is uh, to notice new things about the things you think you know. You see, you didn't know them, your attention naturally goes there. Or top down, to start off recognizing mm. that you don't know, nobody knows, you can't know, and that not knowing is exciting rather than scary. I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a rundown of today's show with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me as well as ad-free listening experience, make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel on Apple Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend over on social media or text a friend. Leave us a review over on Apple Podcast and let me know what you learned over on our social media channels at Lewis House. I really love hearing the feedback from you and it helps us continue to make the show better. And if you want more inspiration from our world-class guests and content to learn how to improve the quality of your life, then make sure to sign up for the Greatness Newsletter and get it delivered right to your inbox over at greatness.com newsletter. And if no one has told you today, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. 
It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.